Fun fact! South Korea is the largest market for plastic surgery per capita in the world. And I know we talked about this, I think, in our group chat with a couple of friends yesterday. Uh, And it's estimated that between one-fifth and one-third of women in Seoul have gone under the knife for at least one cosmetic procedure. So it's like pretty... Like it's more common there than other countries. Did you read about like why? No. Do you want to tell me why? Yeah. So basically like, um, you know, during a lot of the wars where uh, Europeans would come to Asia and like seek, you know, like comfort women Mm -hmm. and also like uh, translators, Mm -hmm. they thought that like the eyes, the slanted eyes were hard to read facial expressions and like body language. Um, So a lot of them were made to get like all these uh, eye surgeries, like eyelid surgeries to make them look more Western. So make them more likable. Damn. uh, Yeah. I I don't know where I learned that. That, I learned that a long time ago. That's interesting. I never knew that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's where a lot of it comes from. Uh, There was like one specifically where like a man got a bunch of like facial reconstruction done just so that he could be employed as a translator for the I believe that was the Americans. Damn. Which is kind of like interesting. Yeah, it's interesting, but it's also like damn. I didn't know it went like that far back in terms of why people got mm-hmm. surgery. Yeah, and it like kind of plays into why we have a lot of these, you know, beauty standards too and yeah. why you I don't know if it's common where you're from, but I know like in Vietnam, having like a Asian baby, like a mixed race Vietnamese baby mm-hmm. is like so like people really want that because they think mm-hmm. like white features are so uh desirable and beautiful. Yeah. I don't know if it's in like as common in China, but I know mm-hmm. generally like I've talked to friends who are like, oh I wish I looked had like this feature and things like that. And it's like, well mm-hmm. Yeah, it took me the longest time to start accepting, you know, like my Asian features. Because mm-hmm. uh, for a long time, like I didn't like my nose, I didn't like my eyes. But then yeah, so his name is uh Stefan, maybe Stephen, but Stefan Ko. Mm-hmm. Uh, he goes by Kind of Stefan on Instagram. And basically he had a post where he was talking about um, not liking his Asian features and then, like, until he realized like his parents have those features. Mm-hmm. And by rejecting and not loving those features, he was kind of rejecting the features that were given to him from his parents. Mm-hmm. And he always thought of his mom as like really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um and so it didn't make sense that he sees her as beautiful but hates the features that she gave him, you know? Yeah. And so, like, after I saw that, I really started to embrace, you know, like, a little bit of a wider nose and smaller eyes. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I love my mom. and She's so pretty. <laughs> yeah. That's a really good way of putting it, though, too, to get you to look at your features and be like, oh, like, I don't see my parents that way. Like, I don't hate their features, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <So. laughs> It makes no sense why we hate ourselves so much with our, yeah. like, you know, flat noses or yeah. not as sunken in eyes. Or... The only reason yeah. why it annoys me is because glasses are not 
freaking oh, designed for my nose bridge. One hundred percent. And like these glasses, every time because my nose gets kind of like oily, like sometimes like when I'm wearing glasses yeah, for a yeah, long yeah. time, it like it will just fall off my face. Like I can't wear glasses and work out at the same time. Yeah. Um, and then also, I remember when I got my set of glasses a few years ago, they gave me these little paddings mm-hmm. that you could attach <gasps> for the nose. I love that. Yeah, and it was so clever. And I was like, oh, but these, like, wear out. You have to replace them every now and then. He's yeah. like, and then, right? And the guy was like, yeah, so it's either these or you get a nose job. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll take them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> Good to know. Anyways. Hi! I'm Leanne. I'm Tammy. And you're listening to Incrimination! So to start off today's episode, um, aside from the fun fact that we mentioned earlier, we obviously wanted to just briefly talk about the shootings in Atlanta that happened last week and recognize the victims who died as a result of a hate crime. Mm-hmm. To call it what it is. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, rest in peace to Delena Ashley Yan, Paul Andre Michaels, Tan Xiaojie, as well as Feng Daoyou. And to Pak Soon-jung, Kim Hyun-jung, Kim Soon-ja, and Yoon Young-e. These were all parents and siblings and friends to a lot of people. Uh, we just want to, you know, give our condolences and hoping that you know the family can heal from this i think because our podcast revolves around like looking at crimes involving asian people and things like that it felt like we definitely should talk about it and we've i think both Mm -hmm. of us have been active in our own personal channels about it too um but this felt like we should talk about it here um we won't be doing a case on it like we aren't going to dive into it because it's also really recent and it's kind of disrespectful at least the way that we see it like I don't want to like I can look on it on my own but I don't want to do a podcast episode on it Mm -hmm. at this time so Uh, I think it's kind of soon and I think the you know victims of the case deserve respect and we don't know what you know, the families want regarding this case. We do post a lot about it on our personal channels because I think both of us, like Leanne and I combined, we have a little bit more reach on our individual channels than Incrimination does. Yeah. Um, so yeah. if you're interested, you can always follow us there because we do upload resources. A lot of the times I feel like racism against Asians isn't really recognized and can be downplayed as oh uh one time things or people were in the wrong place at the wrong time but i think it's really important that we mm-hmm. all acknowledge that this was an act of violence against asians and that there is definitely a rise in asian hate crimes um so i hope that all of our listeners can acknowledge and respect the victims of these crimes as well as the people in these communities to try to you know uplift them and protect people of our communities all over the world yeah well said i feel like i just rambled a bunch i have no idea (laughs) (laughs) no it made sense it was good i think okay nice but yeah i think the other thing that i wanted to mention too is like 
I, this kind of happened last year as well with um, like Black Lives Matter, where people were mm-hmm. like, oh, if you're not posting about it on social media, then like you're not really supporting it. I just want to say like you can support it however you choose, like whether that's privately with your own yeah. family and talking about it or even internally kind of processing all of it because that's kind of for me especially like after last year that's sort of like what I did was like I posted about it but I also you know it doesn't matter if you're not doing internal work and you're not talking about it in your circles Mm -hmm. and you're not actively doing something about it because yeah it doesn't matter like a fucking Instagram post that you reshare is great like you're supporting Mm -hmm. but in the end like it's your own actions that matter (laughs) yeah so for sure anyways we hope Oh, God, this is going to sound so sarcastic because it's actually, like, it's just really sad, I think, like, yeah, to see I think that happen. Everybody but... has been having, like, a really tough time dealing with the news, too. I know. Especially, yeah. like, those in the United States with, like, yeah. families in those communities. Um, they must be hurting a lot yeah. right now. Um, I think what we'll do as well, um, maybe after we post this episode, I know that one of the family members, I think their son posted oh, a yeah. GoFundMe. There's a lot of different fundraisers going on. I was trying on. to look at a lot of the GoFundMes, and I wanted to post, like, the more, <laughs> the the lesser known mm-hmm. ones, but all of them have, like, four or five times surpassed their goals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the one I saw was, like, two million. Yeah. It's, it's nice to see, but, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyways, I guess with that said... Stop Asian hate. Stop Asian hate, yeah, for sure. Um, If you want to, you know talk to us about it like we're open to speaking about it in our dms too you can always hit us up individually uh, if you need like some resources or you you, you know want to help support the gofundmes and other things like that uh, feel free to reach out to us because our dms are open and we don't get that many so <laughs> our chances of replying to you are really high <laughs> exactly <laughs> oh one other thing that I wanted to mention before we get into this case. So this case um, is the Hwasong serial murders, also known as the Korean Zodiac Killer. Oh! Um, <laughs> I just got... Re- oh, Zodiac Killer. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> That's one of like my favorite cases to read about, but the Korean one... Oh, really? Yeah. I haven't heard about the Korean one. Yeah. Um, it's not like super relevant in terms of like the mo, mm-hmm. um, but it was huge in terms of like w- the cultural impact that it had on it, the community. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was a request from a listener named Hannah. Uh, so thank you so much, Hannah, <laughs> for letting us know about this um, case. I also read recently that one of the sources or one of the websites that I tend to use for our Korean cases mm-hmm. is Chosang Ilbo and I have heard that that is the equivalent of Fox News in Korea oh boy and is apparently very conservative noise so uh, <laughs> I did use them in the past for yeah. our Frog Boys case I didn't use them this time just because they didn't have anything yeah um, but uh, that's just like a little disclaimer <laughs> that I don't know the political backgrounds of a lot of these websites that I'm getting our information from. So um, take everything we say with a grain of salt. Uh, again, like the news industry is always contradicting each other anyway. 
uh, I try to get as many viewpoints as I can to figure out what like the most accurate or most widely known story is Mm -hmm. but if I'm a little off you know sorry (laughs) I tried (laughs) we it's easier to ask for forgiveness than for permission I don't know how that applies in this case but you know what (laughs) just just, who are we asking permission from (laughs) I don't know (laughs) Arsa what Ignore me. You can just start the case. Just okay. ignore me. I didn't say anything. I'm dumb. Sure. <laughs> um, it's just one of those days. I know. It's Monday. We're recording on a Monday. And I don't know about you, but daylight savings just happened last week and it's been kicking my ass. Yeah. Last I week. Am... Last week during my... I'm usually... This is so... Let me leave this out. But like on... I had a Friday meeting and I usually am okay. Like I'm not... I hate... I don't like Friday meetings, but like mm-hmm. I can deal with them, right? Mm-hmm. I had a meeting uh, at like 10, then at 11, then at 1. And then I had like from 1 to 2. And then I had two more meetings from 2 to 2.30 and then 2.30 uh-huh. to 3. By the time I reached my 2.30 one, mm-hmm. I like... Just as soon as my manager joined the call, I was in the middle of a yawn. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> and she just kind of made fun of me. And I was like, yeah, I know it's only 2.30 and I'm already tired. But like, literally at that point, I could barely do any work because I was just so wiped out. I usually, I usually don't sleep through my alarm. But last week, yeah. I slept through my alarm twice in a row. I've been sleeping so through like, my alarm the entire week. Yeah, so... <laughs> usually i'm okay with it though because i i usually at least like i'll hit snooze right but these times i don't wake yeah. up at all and i miss my morning meetings with my manager um oh god so i missed one me- meeting at like 9 a.m and then the next day i didn't wake up till 11 a.m and i have no idea why today i woke yeah. up on time but just bl- keep blaming it on daylight savings just do it everyone understands everyone hates it yeah i'm gonna keep blaming it on daylight savings. blame it until we switch back <laughs> Huh? Blame it until we switch <laughs> back an hour for <laughs> See you next... When do we usually change it? November, I think. November, right? Yeah. I guess I'll be late until November. Yeah. Okay. So for this case, I used a CNN article written by Julia Hollingsworth, Yoon Jung So, and Jake Kwan as the kind of like uh, spine for this case. The title of this article will be revealed later because it kind of gives the entire story away. Okay. And um, I really like this article because it was pretty lengthy and it was a joint effort as the three reporters wrote from New Zealand, Hwasong, and Seoul. Mm-hmm. So this is just a huge shout out to them because the article was super well written. And uh, yeah, it's, it's great. I'll include it in the show notes. Um, there's also... A movie based on this case called Memories of Murder, directed by Bong Joon-ho. If you think that sounds familiar, yes, that is the guy who directed Parasite. I'll be discussing that movie a bit in part two, probably. Maybe a little bit here. Uh, I did take the time out of my day to watch it. Like, Is it good? Two days ago. Yeah, it's pretty good. I wouldn't say it's as good as Parasite. Yeah. But it's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, is it like thriller type of movie as well? Like, what is it? Uh, yeah, it's like a mystery thriller. Basically, it follows. I'm gonna spoil it because yeah, if you're listening to this and you want to watch that movie, um, 
maybe go watch the movie first and then come back to us because <laughs> I'm definitely going to spoil it yeah. in this case. Um, basically, it just covers uh, these detectives that are trying to find the serial killer. Mm-hmm. And there's like no clues or anything, but they're trying to figure it out. And it's a little comedic here and there, but mm-hmm. I'll, I'll talk about it a lot more throughout the episode. Okay, sounds good. Yeah. Other notable mentions of media inspired by this case are um, K-dramas. I know uh, Tunnel, Gapdong, and Signal. I've heard of Signal. I was actually considering watching it, but I never commit to K-dramas, so I I didn't. (laughs) But I heard that Signal is really good. Um, There's another movie also inspired by this case called Confessions of Murder, or uh, I Am the Murderer. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, this case was huge, huge, huge. And just as a trigger warning, I know this is like a true crime podcast, but this episode does have some pretty young victims, as young as 13 years old. And I read in one article that the youngest victim was only seven, but I think it was a mistake because most of them said 13. But Mm -hmm. anyway, this case involves rape, murder, and mentions of suicide. Uh, I'm not going to be super graphic throughout the case by any means but i just wanted to get it out there so you know what you're in for mm-hmm. so hwasong uh in the 1980s was a rural area made up of small villages and comprised mostly of farmland it's located in gyeonggi province just outside of seoul where violent crime wasn't very common it was the kind of town where everyone knew everyone uh, according to cnn about 226,000 people lived in the villages spread out between the hills and the rice paddies. So nowadays, Hwasong is a big city and it like basically just brought all these things together. But I'm just going to refer to the area as Hwasong area mm-hmm. for the time being because it wasn't like officially a city at that time. The village that we're going to explore in particular is called Taean Up. And in the 1980s, was a busy area with lots of bars and coffee shops. People frequenting the area were often factory workers or rice farmers. And again, everybody basically knew each other. And because of that, there were only occasional cases of robbery or break-ins. But the people in that area were all pretty poor, so there wasn't much to steal anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it still happened. However, on September 15, 1986, a middle-aged woman was found murdered, and that was the beginning of a series of of killings that shook the country. After three murders took place in the span of three months, on September 15, October 20th, and December 12th of 1986, Police realized that they had a serial case on their hands and had to call in investigators from a nearby city for help. I totally forgot to mention that this is going to be a two-part case. Yeah. But I think you you mentioned it briefly earlier. You said, you okay. said, oh, I'll talk oh, yeah, about yeah, yeah. this in the second part. Okay. And just a trigger warning. I'm just going to describe it. The women in this case were often found with their arms tied behind their backs, strangled to death um, after being raped and mutilated. They had their mouths stuffed with their own stockings or bras or socks, and some of the bodies, especially the genitalia, were mutilated with a variety of instruments such as umbrellas, forks, and razor blades. And all of these cases happened outside, 
but there were never any eyewitnesses. The bodies were usually dumped in rice farms, fields, and occasionally sewers. You good? <laughs> yep. Okay. I, I have, like, a very active, like, imagery mind, so whenever, like, oh, no. people describe things to me, like, I can see it, mm. and I'm just, like, that's why, like, as you were saying it, you see my eyes, like, gets, like, I'm just, like, squinting, because I'm, like, yeah, her eyebrows just furrowed so hard. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm just, like, imagining, like, finding, like, for the people who find the bodies, mm-hmm. it's just, like, yeah, not, n- not anything <laughs> that you'd ever want to come across. Yeah. Of course, people started getting really scared. Residents patrolled the street at night in groups armed with sticks. And since the victims had a big age range, women of all ages were super afraid. Again, I think I mentioned at the beginning, like, the youngest was 13 and the oldest was around 70 years old. Women in general avoided going out after dark, especially since there were no streetlights in the rural areas. There was even a rumor that a number of victims were wearing red when they were attacked, so people began avoiding wearing red in general. It was later confirmed that three of the women out of all of those attacked were wearing red, so it was probably just a coincidence, but people were, like, super scared anyway. Mm -hmm. And it kind of reminds me, I don't know if you remember the Son of Sam case in New York? Uh, I know the name, I can't remember the details. Basically, people were, like, cutting and dyeing their hair blondes because all of the victims were brunettes with long hair. And so, like... Yeah. I don't know. I thought that was a pretty cool... Yeah. yeah. Similarity. Parallel. Female cops actually went undercover wearing uh, red, hoping to lure out the killer um, to no avail. They weren't able to do that. On the flip side, men were starting to be afraid of being questioned by police and avoided going out drinking because they didn't want to get accidentally caught in the case. Mm -hmm. And this is around the time when DNA testing wasn't really a thing. Um, Neither were cell phones or surveillance cameras, so despite there being cigarette butts and a few strands of hairs left at the crime scenes, there wasn't anything to, like, hold these pieces of evidence to someone. Mm -hmm. The risk of catching the wrong person was definitely possible Mm -hmm. because at that time i think for blood and semen they could only determine like the blood type Mm -hmm. but not like the dna and unfortunately for police they basically had no leads due to the lack of technology but they put all their efforts into stopping and finding this guy they actually mobilized two million police officer days over the years which is uh, a record in south korea yeah two million that's a fuck ton Mm-hmm. The fourth murder took place only two days after the last on December 14, and the fifth on January 10 of 1987. These first five murders happened within a six-kilometer radius, so police split into teams of two and patrolled every hundred meters in that area, according to one of the detectives who worked on the case. Unfortunately, that did not work because the killer just went outside of that area. Right. <laughs> Somewhere around that time, police took into custody one suspect in particular. His name is only known as Kim. He was being accused of the fourth and fifth killings by a medium in the United States who said that they had seen him in their dream. Kim reported that he was subject to torture and interrogation, but was never charged for the murders. A few years later, Kim actually sued the government for damages, and was successful in his case. However, he suffered from depression and PTSD and took his own life only two years later. 
Oh my god. Yeah, it's kind of a reoccurring thing in this case that, like, police tend to abuse their powers. And I'll, like, dive into it a little bit more. But, yeah, a lot of these people who are being interrogated, the police was def- were definitely using a lot of force trying to figure out who this person is. Mm-hmm. And it was by no means ethical. <laughs> mm-hmm. And at this time, South Korea was under military rule, which meant that brute force was common, and these interrogations often involved a lot of torture and other really cruel methods. And you can definitely say that police brutality was common, and although journalists tried to write about it, there wasn't that much that the police couldn't get away with. They interviewed over 21,000 different men, gathered over 40,000 different sets of fingerprints, and 180 other hair samples were analyzed. And as a side note, even though they weren't successful in catching the killer through these methods, this data collection actually led to a lot of other crimes being solved as a byproduct, which was kind of interesting. That's hilarious. And they actually arrested 1,495 other people. And you said that the, ta- yeah. like the area itself, what was the population again? Like 200-something thousand? Um, like 200-some thousand, yeah. 266,000. Yeah, so there were a lot of crimes being committed in the area, but they just didn't have like the data collection yeah. to solve them until, yeah. you know... Something big like this comes along and they actually need that kind of information. Yeah. Now, with the increase in police presence and people being much more cautious, it wasn't until May 2nd that the sixth murder was recorded. And then, for a year, there were no recorded murders until September 1988. Two murders happened. The first was on the 7th and the second on the 16th. Mm -hmm. Now, this eighth murder was a little different from the others. This one was the 13-year-old girl Mm -hmm. who was raped and murdered in her bed. And this specific case was notable because it was the first one that happened inside versus all of the other ones that were outdoors. In 1989, police visited the home of Yoon Sung-yo. 22-year-old Yoon was about to eat dinner when he got a knock at the door. As a child, Yoon got a bad case of polio, which left him with a permanent limp. His family moved around a lot, and when his mother passed away in a car accident, his dad disappeared very soon after. And this all happened when he was in the third grade. Holy shit. Yeah, so he had, like, a really rough childhood. Um, He quit school to start working and found himself in Hwasong, where he begged outside of a fried chicken restaurant for a year. At the age of 11, he worked at a farming tool center, and by 22 was training to become a qualified technician and was a heavy smoker. His condition from the polio was actually so bad, he was exempt from the mandatory military service that they do in Korea. Mm -hmm. Um, And in an interview, he said, I haven't tried talking to girls because I thought no one would like a disabled person like me. His former boss, Hong, said that he wasn't very articulate and didn't express his feelings much, but he was excellent at repairing machines. So that's just a little bit of background about Yoon. Um, as I'm going to call him for the rest of the case. I'm not entirely sure how they like came to the conclusion that he was the one connected to these murders. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he he's like who the police went for. Mm-hmm. Um, so he asked, what's this about? And the police said, uh, it won't take long, just come with us to the police station. 
So he goes to the local police station to be questioned, and his interrogation took three days. Holy. Yeah, he remained handcuffed for the entirety of the interrogation. Um, They barely let him eat, and he was only allowed to leave to go to the toilet. Every time he fell asleep, police would wake him up. Uh, Sleep deprivation was actually a really common interrogation technique used in the 80s in Korea, and was actually branded a form of torture. So eventually, they got a confession from Yoon, and this is what Yoon says in his confession, was that on the night of the murder, he went for a walk to get some air, but he had to make stops several times to rest because of his disability. Around midnight, he saw a house with the light on and felt the sudden, quote, urge for rape. He said he then climbed into the house, attacked the girl, and he said he knew that the parents were asleep next door. He then burned his clothes and went home. Yoon signed three confessions, and at the trial, he pleaded guilty, hoping to avoid the death penalty. In 1990, he was convicted and sentenced to life in prison for the rape and murder of the 13-year-old girl. However, oh god, there's a twist, isn't there? (laughs) Oh yeah, so this is why this is going to be a two-parter. Okay. Yoon continues to insist that he did not do it. Mm -hmm. Police suspected that he had committed a copycat murder. Again, this was the only case in which someone was murdered in their home. And the nine other murders went unsolved. Mm-hmm. So this means 10 happened in total. Now, if you recall, the 13-year-old was only the eighth victim. Mm-hmm. So, yes, two more murders took place on November 15, 1990 and April 3, 1991. Which meant that from 1986 to 1991, 10 different victims were found. Mm-hmm. All women with variable age range. Again, the oldest was 71 years old, and I think three of the women were in their 50s. Mm -hmm. But the case went cold and left residents of Hwasong still a little uneasy. I actually read that this case is the case that brought the villages of Hwasong together to form the city of Hwasong. Or was probably, like, influenced to do so. Not, like, the thing, but probably one of the things that brought the city together. And something that I thought was really interesting about this case is that the police never gave up on the search because everyone knew each other. Uh, A lot of the officers took this really personally. And with each body that turned up, they developed a strong hatred towards the killer, Uh, which makes me think of the Frog Boys case, which took place in 1991. So around the end of this case around the same time i think it i might have actually mentioned this case in that episode that we covered of the frog boys as one of the most notorious crimes of south korea um but the boys were basically given up on and i think that was mostly because the bodies were never found but like when they are found the case was able to be reopened and looked at again and stuff Mm -hmm. but for this case the bodies just kept popping up every few weeks or months and it was like Mm -hmm. the police were being like taunted that they couldn't catch this guy Mm -hmm. the case however went cold and a decade goes by when in 2003 memories of murder was released directed by bong jun ho Mm -hmm. and as i mentioned earlier it was remastered in the fall of 2020 so you should go watch it somewhere but uh don't ask me where I watched it. Yeah, just uh, use your own means of watching. Uh, um, I I believe in you. Yeah, you'll find you'll you figure it, it out. You can find it or DM us. Yeah, 
or 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 don't DM. Wait, she, can we DM? Uh, uh, don't DM us. But if you do, like, yeah. But don't DM but don't us. Don't DM us. Yeah, don't do it. Okay, there were some aspects of the movie that were very similar to those in real life, mm-hmm. but a lot of it was exaggerated for the thrill factor. Mm-hmm. Like in the movie, they had it rain every time someone was killed, mm-hmm. but it only rained twice during the days of the actual murders Mm -hmm. um so that wasn't accurate Mm -hmm. but i can totally see like the conflicts between the investigator that was brought in from seoul and Mm the and the police in hwasong that were working the case because you know how like in criminal minds i always bring up criminal minds but in criminal minds they always like bring the bau in and then the local police are like oh this is our job what who are you to do yeah, I don't even watch Criminal Minds, but that's, like, every crime show. <laughs> yeah, literally every crime show where, the, like, the detectives and, like, the FBI always butt heads. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that happened in the movie. <laughs> I could totally see that happening in real life. Yeah. Um, the release of the movie in 2003 sparked a bit of interest in the case again since it depicts a lot of the police brutality that is used on the suspects and also, you know, this case at that time definitely was unsolved Mm -hmm. and so it kind of brought the public attention to the case again Mm -hmm. but a few years after that in 2006 the statute of limitations expired for the last victim so if you remember from our frog boys episode the statute of limitations um was 15 years in korea at the time Mm -hmm. which meant that even if the killer was found there would be no trial and justice would not be served Mm -hmm. basically in 2009, Yoon's life sentence was reduced on appeal, and 20 years later, Yoon is released from his prison sentence on parole. Mm-hmm. Um, the title of the article is, He spent 20 years in prison for murder, then someone else confessed to the same crime. Oh my god. Yeah. No. In September of 2019... Gyeonggi Nambu Provincial Police Superintendent General Bang Gi Su, who was the latest police officer that was in charge of the investigation, announced that samples from the case were sent to Japan and DNA testing had been used on the evidence kept in police files from 30 years ago by the National Forensic Service. And the results were that DNA evidence from at least three of the murders matched one man. Lee Chun Jae, which I will dive into in the next episode. God, I hate you. I actually hate you. <laughs> See, you know, like when Morbid, they're like, "God damn it, I hate you." Like, I, I actually am just like, "Damn it!" <laughs> <laughs> this is a good cliffhanger, though. Yeah. So I will go into everything about Lee Chun Jae in the next episode. What the hell? Wait. So how long did he spend in prison again? Twenty years. He spent 20 years in prison. Holy. And this was recent, too, because 2019 yep. was when um, Two years ago. the dude came out. Yeah. Yeah. 2019. Damn. Yeah. And so I'll talk about everything that happened since 2019 until now. Until now. Yeah. Yeah. <gasps> and uh, I'll backtrack like a little asked. bit to tell you, you know, the truth, okay. truth <laughs> of what happened. Okay. Yes. Yes. I want to know. Okay. Well, I guess that's it for today. Yeah. We'll see you next week. All right. Well, oh, two weeks well, from now. Yeah. 
uh, two weeks. But uh, uh, th- 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 thank you. T- <laughs> I don't know why I'm stuttering all of a sudden. <laughs> you don't really want to thank me. I left you on a cliffhanger. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I, I just want to hear the rest of it. We might as well just record. We'll re- Actually, I don't know if you have all your research. I was like, we can record all of it now and then we'll just splice it. Oh, we totally could. We could. Yeah, I have all my research done. You're not going to do any more? If you want. No. How long do you think it'll take? Another hour, probably. Okay, we'll do it next week then. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But yeah. Sounds good. All right. Well, thank you, Tammy, for this cliffhanger. Not really thank you, but it was a good case (laughs) and I'm excited to hear what comes next. If you want to take a look at all of our show notes, obviously go to bit.ly slash incrimination or the link is usually in the description of our episodes or just on our podcast pages. Um, And make sure that you follow us on Instagram at incrimination so that you can see the photos from the cases that we discuss. And then also, you know, connect with us, give us any suggestions that you may have for cases. Um, We're we're always down for that. But Mm -hmm. that's it. There isn't actually a lot of photos for this case, Mm -hmm. um, just because it's so old. Uh, True. But I will post the photos for the next episode. Mm-hmm. And when we post the next episode, so I'll, yeah. I won't spoil anything until later. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Bye.